0: So I don't know if you guys have ever had a week where you feel like you can't put a thought together and just nothing seems to be straightforward. Everything is chaotic. Uh, I feel like that's what my week has been. Um, So I don't know if I'm trying to set the bar low for this morning or what. Um, But just kind of been all over the place. And hopefully all of this makes sense. And I'm just trusting that God's going to use very imperfect words um, to do... Um, Amazing things. So if you remember from last week, uh, I gave a big long recap last week of the previous four or five weeks. And I'm not going to do all of that again, because I mean, I could spend probably 15, 20 minutes just recapping where we've been. Um, But last week we spent time in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we were specifically looking where, where Paul is kind of reminding the Corinthians of their history. He's reminding them who they are. Um, And like what I hope you saw from that, when he is reminding them of who they are, but who who, who Christ has made them, I hope more than anything else, what you heard, more than anything else, was just the abundant grace that God displays to sinners like you and like me. Like that, overall, that was the goal. Um, So like, hear that now, like, it's not because of us, it's because of Christ that we have been saved. It's not because of us. Like, that's what I wanted you to hear. And what, I, what we talked about was that that understanding, that our boast is only in Christ. It's not in our works. It's not in any obedience. It's not in anything else that we can boast other than Christ. So the sentence that I said, I stole from somebody else, but it, that, that drives us to the level ground at the foot of the cross. That we're all equally needy for Jesus. Like, and the implications of this is really big if you really think about it. Like, you and I, Need just as much grace as the worst person that you can think of. The, or we would judge someone as being, they're really bad. I don't know where you want to go with that. You want to think Hitler, if you want to think the worst rapist, the worst murderer, like whatever you wherever you want to go, like we are equally needy of grace. And it's really humbling to think of that. But like that's where the good news of the gospel comes, because like the good news is that Jesus sent his son into our space, that Jesus walked him into our reality. And and we became everything that we are not and we can never hope to be by ourselves. Like, he became the perfect sacrifice because of who he was, perfect son of God. That is beautiful news. (laughs) That is, like, the good news of the gospel is that we were not deserving of it, we were not worthy of it. But now we boast not in ourselves, but in Christ. And, I th- and I, my goal in all of that, like what I want us to see is that before we look at ministry of the church, before we look at the ways that our love towards others outside of the church, like we've got to understand who we are. We've got to understand that our only boast is in Christ. Because if not, like any sort of ministry is just going to be done out of like pity, out of condescending pity. Because they've got, they, they've got this need. and But we've got it if we don't understand that we are equally as needy, that apart from Christ, we have no other hope. And th- what I mentioned last week was that we're going to spend time this morning look at, looking at a specific area of ministry within the church. And it's something that I think I've never heard a sermon on. Um, they're, they're out there. I did some searching this week. There, are, there absolutely are sermons. There's, lots of, there's books and all sorts of things. But all through Scripture, we see God's consistent care for three groups of people. The orphan, the widow, and the sojourner. All through Scripture we see this. From Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, we see God's care, His love, His provision for this group, these groups of people. And this morning, we're going to look specifically at widows. Uh, I've, again, I've never heard a sermon on the church's specific care for widows. Um, we're going to spend three weeks on... Um, adoption, on the doctrine of adoption, on orphan care, on the church's ministry to orphans. We're going to spend three weeks on that here in about a month. But this morning, what I want to look at is our care, what our, what our call is in ministering to widows. Because this isn't something like, I was thinking, outside of my preparation for this, and kind of preparing for the last couple weeks, I don't know when the last time I heard the word widow. Like, it's just not a common word in our culture. Like, we don't use that a whole lot. I mean, at least I don't. But I also want, as we we look at this, I want to tie it back to, if you remember back probably two months ago now, we looked at the vision for CRC, that we, we want to grow, we want to mature, we want to reach. And the way this ministry with the church, caring for widows, ties into all three. Like, we want to grow through being ambassadors for Christ and loving and caring for what he loves and cares for. Like, we want to mature through an understanding of Scripture that shows the commands to care for the widow. We also want to reach by biblically serving in the ways that Christ himself served, the ways that he taught. I bet you didn't know this. I did not either until this week. But caring for widows is mentioned over 80 times in Scripture. Over 80 times in Scripture, this is commanded. I mean, sometimes it's in a positive sense, like care for the widows, care for the widows. Sometimes it's in a negative sense. If you don't care for the widows, then this. I mean, if you look through the prophets, when God would send the prophets to go call out the people and say, look what you're doing wrong, almost every single time in that rebuke is their lack of care for the widow, lack of care for the orphan, lack of care for the sojourner. It's all through there. But also, before we jump in further, I think it might be helpful to define, we say widow, who are we talking about? Because when I think of widow, I think of the elderly lady who's 80, 90 years old, whose husband has passed away. That is what my mind goes to when I think of widow. But I think the definition is much broader than this. I think that the scriptural definition is much broader than this because I said this before, I'm no Greek scholar. I know, I know very little. But looking into the Greek word used for widow, it means more than just an elderly lady whose husband has passed away. But what it is, is this it means someone, a woman who has been, what's the word? Bereft is the word it kept using. It's been like the provision and care that she would have had with a husband or a family has been robbed of her has been robbed from her. Like, and it's not just limited to an older lady whose husband has passed away. I mean, this could be by any number of reasons. It could be a husband has passed away. It could be abandonment. It could be divorce. It could be any number of factors. But we live in a world that I think with just the disintegration of the family unit in general with fewer and fewer people even getting married in, like, in general. Like, I feel like this is going to only increase going forward. So go ahead and flip to Deuteronomy 10. That's where we're going to start. What I want to do is just for the next five minutes or so, just give a brief overview of, like I want to just look at Scripture and say, what are the commands there specific to widows? I'm not going to even get close to touching on every single example. I told Andy, I think I set a record today. There's 71 slides <laughs> in there, which is probably double that I've ever had. So bear with me. So I'm going to read Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 22. Give me a second. It'll be on the screen. All right. This is Moses speaking. He says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today, for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heavens of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set His heart in love on your fathers, and chose their offspring after them, you above all people, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great and the mighty, the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless, the widow, and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons. Now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in heaven. Just to like put this in a time frame a little bit, like the verses we read, are like Moses is saying these right after coming down off the mountain with the new tablets, like the new Ten Commandments. This is directly after that. And Moses, again, just like Paul reminded them who they were, the Corinthians, Moses is kind of doing the same thing. In verse 15, he says, Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all people, as you are this day. Like He's reminding them that God. Did, elsewhere in Scripture, we see God did not choose these people because of who they were. He didn't choose them because they were great in number or because they were special or they had any quality. But he chose them. Because he is God. He chose them because he desired to set his affections on them. Now look down at verse 18. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Like Moses is telling them what God is like, who God is. Do and and you see how he described God? He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner. Like, he's reminding them of, their, of who they are. He's reminding them of who God is and his character. But it's not just here in Deuteronomy 10. I'm going to v- fly through a couple more examples of this. Consistently we see the same thing. Deuteronomy 24, 19. When you reap your harvest in your fields and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. Deuteronomy 14, 28-29. At the the end of every three years you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, who are within your towns, shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in in all the work of your hands that you do. Deuteronomy 16, 11-14. And you shall love the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, who, the widow who are among you. At that place, the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. <laughs> this is then God, as God is giving his law to the people. He's saying, like, I, he, he is providing for the widows for the sojourners, for the fatherless. He is doing this. He's, like, he's saying when you go and you gather your fields, when you go and harvest your fields and you drop some, like leave it there, that is going to provide for the widows, for the sojourners, for the fatherless. He says that when you join together to, 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 to offer your tithes and offerings of your produce, let the widows, the sojourners, the fatherless, let them eat of it first. When you come to celebrate the festivals, and all of the feasts and everything. Make sure you include the widows, the fatherless, the sojourner. Over and over and over again. Jeremiah 22.3 Thus says the Lord, Do justice and righteousness, and deliver from the hand of the oppressor, him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. I said earlier that it also gives negative examples. Deuteronomy twenty seven nineteen: Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Isaiah 10, 1 through three: Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep and oppression to, to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be in their spoil and that they make the fatherless their prey. What will you do on the day of punishment and the ruin that comes from afar? To whom will you flee for help, and where will you leave your wrath? One more. Exodus 22, 21-23. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow, a fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. We could go on. <laughs> like, there is all the way through Scripture, over and over and over again. We see the same Call. We see the same command, care for the orphan, care for the widow, care for the sojourner. If you don't, da-da-da-da-da, like it's all the way through. And you may find yourself asking, like, what's so special about these three groups of people? Why is the, the command always about those three groups of people? And I've, I read this week, like, some people try to say, whoa, well, that's just because of the role of women in that day. It's only because the women could not provide for themselves, that, that if they didn't have a husband, that, that was, that's the only reason why that's so special. I'm not saying that there's no truth to that. that. That plays into it, absolutely. But that is not the only reason. Okay, I said I was done. Psalm 68, 4-5. through five. Sing to God. Sing praises to His name. Lift up a song to Him who rides through deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before Him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in His holy habitation even having, if I would have just read that and not all the other ones, we see who God is. It's saying like, this is the character of God. Father of the fatherless. Protector of widows. And what I want to show is like, why, why is this all so special? Why is this repeated over and over and over through scripture? It's because God's love and care for these people, his provision, his protection, is a picture of the gospel itself a clear picture of the gospel. I want you to think, think for a second to the book of Ruth. Um, I'm not, I'm not gonna, you don't have to flip there. I'm not going to read actually from it. But the book of, in the book of Ruth, what we see is that Naomi, her husband and two sons leave Israel. They leave Bethlehem and go to the land of Moab because there's a famine. There's no food there, so they leave and go to Moab. I'm, I'm going to briefly summarize. Um, and what we see is that tragedy strikes that Naomi's husband dies, her two sons die, and all she's left with are her two Moabite daughters-in-law. Like these two Moabite women. And she hears there's food back in the homeland. And what she does is like she goes to Lee, tries to convince these two daughter-in-laws to stay in Moab. One of them comes with her. We see the line, like, your God is my God, your people are my people. Like she clings to Naomi, Ruth does. And they go back to the land of, to Israel. Two widows going back to the land of Israel without food, without a home really, without provision. And the rest of the book, the rest of the book is the story of God's provision for the widows. <laughs> he provides food. He provides a redeemer. He provides for them in every way that they need. Probably a month ago, I listened to a whole, like a five week sermon series from David Platt on the book of Ruth. And man, it, the way it's just, this big story of God's provision is just amazing. Like, I really encourage you this week to go read through the book of Ruth. I mean, it's four chapters, probably take you 15 minutes to read it. But it's so packed, it's like packed so rich with God's provision His provision for the widow, His provision for the people he loves. And I want us to see, like, what does he provide for them? Through her gleaning in the fields, we see that Ruth goes out into the fields, gleaning. We saw in Deuteronomy 24 that God says, when you're, when you're harvesting your fields, leave the extra. In Ruth, we see that playing out. That, providing, that provides for Ruth and Naomi. We also know that they have no family. And God provides Boaz, a kinsman redeemer who comes and, 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 and purchases it, adds him to his family, adds Ruth as his wife, takes in Naomi to care for her. And it's, I think it's easy to, easy to see this and, and see the physical provision and the provision of salvation is different, but they're so not. If you look at the book of Ruth, it's all tied together. It's all tied together. Because... What is the message of hope that we have in scripture the, the gospel what is the hope that we have it's, it's that God sent his own son to meet every single one of needs when we could not provide for ourselves that we had no way to provide and yet God in his perfection in out of his love did that provision he provided and it's he, and we talk about meeting every single need we were in need he provided we needed a family and through Christ we're added to the family of God like the the picture here is so clear and just talking of widows like as we look at the scripture it's clear, like it really is clear that you and I without Christ are spiritual widows in need unable to provide and the bible what does the bible call Christ. It says, but the message of the gospel is that God sent his only son to be the bridegroom of the church, to provide, to meet our needs, to add us to his family. Without Christ, we don't have that. Like So we see, caring for the widow is so much more than just a good thing to do. It's so much more than only meeting a need. It's so much more than a social justice type of thing. But it's the proclamation of the gospel. So what does this really mean? Like, what does this mean for us as a church, as a a, a small church? A lot of people are gone today, by the way. Some are in California, some are in the Caribbean. It's kind of crazy. But um, we're all over the place today. But what does this mean for us? As the church. Because I think it's really easy to say, oh, well, this obviously means that the widows among us that we should be caring for. Yes. Yes, it does. But I find myself saying, like, but look at our church. Like, we don't, we're, the demographic is very different than what I pictured growing up, at least. In a church where the average age was, let's say, much higher than this church. And it's easier to put this in context in those lines, like, in thinking of other churches. But what does it mean for us? Because we know there's a call for the care of widows. I mean, when we looked a couple weeks ago, we looked at the institution of deacons in the church. And like when that arose was because there was widows being neglected. Like, that's what we see. The first deacons come in to like organize the care of widows who were not being cared for. So look with me at first Timothy chapter five. Here we Paul is going to be telling this young church leader um, about the importance of this. I'm going to read verses 3 um, through 16. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. Let a woman be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and have a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, and has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger women, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith." Besides that, they learned to be idlers, going from house to house. And not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger women marry, bear children, and manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. But some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let them care for her. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may be a care for those who are truly widows. There's a lot in there. Um, We're not going to spend near as much time on this as we could. But what we see is that there's a call to obedience to care for the widows for both the individual and for the church. Like, the very first one we see, verse 8, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. (laughs) Like, like, the, the the first call here is to be caring for the widows in your family first. And it goes on at the end of this, it's very specifically for the women to be caring for the widows in their families. Like, we should be doing this. It is right. Like, I think to neglect this is <laughs> very much to our own demise. And what I have read a lot this week is that more and more people now, as their parents age, are not caring for them, are being too busy to care for elderly families. Whether it's, Parents or aunts or uncles, whatever, wherever that falls in, that more and more people are not taking that responsibility because of their own careers or their own plans or their own children or whatever. But the call here is clear, that the first call is to, to care for our families. But then going into verse 9, it says, Let a woman be enrolled if she's not less than 16. We see all the different qualifications for that. So, like, but it's talking about like there's something in the church as well. There's a church's responsibility here, and there's a lot of debate as to what they're being enrolled in. I mean, some people will say that's like a convent of like nuns that they're being enrolled in. There's all sorts. Of, there's all sorts of beliefs and, and ideas on what that means. But as I keep coming back to it, we see in Acts six, there's this daily distribution. There's the widows are being cared for by the church. It's like, but it says let a woman be enrolled. I think it's to be provided for by the church. But it doesn't say enroll any widow. Let the church care for every single widow in this way. Must be older than 60. Hospitable. Reputation for good works. There's, there's, there's qualifications for this. And I, we could get into a lot of nitty-gritty details on like what this looks like, how this is to play out in the local church that I'm not going to get into this morning. But what, we, what I think that we've seen, and this, I'm not talking about necessarily our church, but just the, the global church, specifically the American church, is that the church has stepped, stepped back further and further from the care of widows, the elderly, the orphan, all of them, and let the government step in. And there's government programs, there's government assistance to care for the widows, to care for orphans, to care for different people. And some of them are really good and great, fabulous. But I think the church has stepped back and let... The government step in. I think that is to the church's heir. <laughs> like, they, the command is to the church, to care for the widows, to care for the orphan, to care for the sojourner. That's not the government. If they want to help, great. But the church is called to do this. Also, like, just the questions I was asking myself this week, is like, okay, so there's that the specific group of people within, the widows within the church that are to and be enrolled in this provision of the church. There's that, that, that's there. But is, the, is there a command also to care for widows that are not a part of the church, the widows outside of the church? Yes. I think that what we see in Scripture, God's care for the widow, the sojourner, the orphan, is a both and. In 1 Timothy, we see the specific care for the widows within the church that meet those qualifications. But it doesn't mean that we don't also care for widows Outside the church, look at James 127. James 127. James tells us what real religion looks like. Religion has all sorts of negative connotations. I think that when we think religion I remember hearing all growing up, it's not about a religion, it's a relationship. Yes. Like, our faith is individual. It's not just this rules and laws that we follow. But like, we have a personal relationship with Christ. Yes, absolutely. But true religion, James says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Real religion Pure, undefiled, visiting the orphan, visiting the widow. And that word visit is not just a go say hi visit. It's like Galatians 6 bear one another's burdens, meet needs. That visit is more than just go say hi. But real religion is not a list of things, okay, we got to make sure we do all these things. It's not just going to church on Sundays, it's not doing this or that. What it says, real religion, pure religion, undefiled, visiting the orphan, the widow. It's like what I see is that caring for the widow, caring for the orphan, is not should not just be another thing that the church does, but it's actually at the heartbeat of what the church does. It's at the center. And it's easy to think, like, I was like, man, am I uplifting this too high? I don't think so. Listen to this quote. This is from Brian Croft. Um, he's referencing Psalm 68, which I read earlier, of saying, like, that God in his holy habitation is protector of widows, cares for the orphan. He says, it would seem reasonable to conclude that if widows are a concern of God in his holy habitation... Then it would be a major failing on the part of the Church of Christ—not only her elders or her deacons, but every member of the Church of, of the Body of Christ—if they shrugged their shoulders and went on quietly with their lives, ignoring the needs of widows. <laughs> like, it should be at the heartbeat of who we are as a church. Like we're all, we say like, man, we want to become more like Jesus. That we want to be further and further sanctified and become more like him. Moments before Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross, we see his concern for the widow. This is, this blew my mind. It's John 19, 25 through 27. It should be on the screen. This is moments before Jesus died. You catch what just happened? Like moments before Christ dies on the cross, he says, Mother, I want you to be provided for. He, he was not going to be the one doing that, he was not going to be the one stepping in to meet those day to day needs. But he said, There is someone else here. John, here's my mother. Treat her as your own. <laughs> like, I want us to have this heart of Christ. Like I want our care, our love, our provision for other people to look like this. It's all over Scripture. It's all over the Old Testament law, the prophets, the Psalms. We see Jesus teach on it. We see Peter teach on it. We see James teach on it. It's not something we can sweep under the rug. And I I wish I could stand before you this morning and say, all right, so in the next two weeks... Here's this full program and this ministry and all these things that we're going to roll out in the next two weeks. I, I, that's not what I'm going to say. But let me be, let me be really candid for a moment. Um, dra- Bren and I were driving back from Cleveland this week and I was just really struggling with all this as I had been starting to prepare. And I was like, Brenna, like, how are we supposed to do this? Like, what does this look like for our church? I feel like we're barely staying afloat as it is. How can we add something new? How can we add th- this? How can we do this? Like, I don't know what this looks like. Like, we don't have enough for this. Brenda looked at me and said, that's why your sermon last week was so important, because we are not enough, and we don't have to be enough, but Christ is enough. Like, it was like a punch between the eyes. I was like, man, like God did not put us here because we are enough, because we have the most skill, because we have the most numbers, or we have the most enter whatever you want. Like He didn't put us here because we knew we had the best kids ministry, or the best street ministry, or the best youth ministry, or the best widows ministry. Like That's not why we are here. Like We don't have to have this perfectly lined up and say, this is exactly what it's going to look like, we're going to do this the best. But what I do think we must have are eyes and hearts that long for Christ, that long to love what he loved. And that is the orphan. That is the widow. That is the sojourner. Like, if we're truly longing for what he loves, if we're truly loving as he loved, then our care for the widow is going to flow from that. And I want to have these conversations going forward. Like, what does this look like for us? How can we do this? I mean, I want to... I think CGs would be a great time to talk about this this week. But it's clear. Like, God's call for followers of Christ, for the church to love and care for the widow, I've said it 10,000 times, it's clear. What I'm going to do is, I'm going to invite Nick to come up and play. Um... I'm going to do something a little bit different than normal. Um, I'm going to lead us in a couple different ways that I want to like, invite us to pray. Um, and then we're going to pray together. We're going to do that a couple different times. Um, and then I'm going to close this at the end. But again, I don't claim to have all the details, all the answers. What I'm saying is, you see, we see the heart of God in Scripture. And I want us together to be seeking after God and say, "What does this look like for me? What does this look like for you? What does this look like for our church?" So as Nick begins to pray, what I first want to invite you just to pray silently to yourself, is I want to invite you to pray and praise God that He did not leave us alone and unprovided for and in need. Praise God that he did not leave us as spiritual widows. That he did not leave us bereft of provision and care. But that he sent Christ. I just want to invite you to spend a couple minutes just praising God for that.